0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of Death construction, in the fields of bodies burning. As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia <coughs> by the Community Radio Network. My name's is Joseph Oscar. I'm hosting today's program, Anarchism... <laughs> Anarchos, what's it all about? Charlie, as they say, what's it all about? Anarchism, or from the Greek, anarchos, without rulers. So an anarchist society is a society without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of thousands of people? Inequalities in power and wealth. That's right, inequalities in power and wealth. It's very simple. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to uh, devolve power or share power and the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Look, there's a lot of misconceptions in life. I think one of the major misconceptions is about anarchism being some type of radical ideology or radical philosophy. Now obviously the word conservative comes from the word conserve, Now, anarchism is a relatively conservative political ideology. Now, I know you've fallen over in your seats because you all believe the uh, propaganda which um, passes as informed comment in the 21st century. But anarchists are about conserving the planet. They're about conserving human beings. They're about conserving society. Because anarchism is based on mutual aid. It's based on the devolution of power. It's based on the sharing of wealth. To me, what is really radical are those people who support a system which allows billionaires to become richer and richer and other people to starve. Now, that's radical to me. I mean, it's pretty conservative to think that everybody at least deserves access to the basic necessities of life. That's not, that's not a radical concept. The radical concept is that, you know, some people should be billionaires and other people should starve to death, that children should die because there's not enough food available, not because the food's not available, but because of the type of um, economic system we have. That, that's radical shit. I mean, more radical shit is the fact that, you know, about people dying... For God, King and Country. Now that that is really radical, giving up your life for some type of being that exists somewhere. Nobody's been able to pinpoint exactly where. Or giving up your life or your children's life or your grandchildren's life for some piece of dirt somewhere. Or giving up your life because, you know, you think some king or some ruler somehow is worth fighting for. I mean, that's radical shit. That is really radical stuff. So if anybody's, you know, I mean, we may use radical methods via which to conserve society, to conserve human beings, to conserve the planet, but as an ideology or a philosophy, anarchism is based on conservative values. Think about it. Black is white, white is black. Remember, the brave new world. And uh, it seems that we are in the brave new world today. Now, we're about to launch another campaign where we need your help. And this is a particularly important campaign. Again, this one is Victoria-centric. So if you're listening to this program outside of Victoria, um, there are some lessons for you especially if the state government that you're involved with uh, is bent on privatising the public housing sector. If there's one thing about the Victorian Labor Party is that it's uh, nothing more than uh, an alternative Liberal Party. I mean, it is one of the... We have seen a huge privatisation splurge which continues today. Huge. And one of the main casualties has been the public housing sector. Now, I'm convener of um, Public Housing Everybody's Business and co-convener of Defend and Extend Public Housing. This is a campaign that's been conducted for at least six, possibly seven years. And part of that campaign is to hold a vigil on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House every week, which we've been doing now for over six years. Not that we've achieved any success, but at least... The concept of public housing is in people's minds, and it's one of those campaigns that's very interesting. You know, a lot of campaigns are involved in. There's a lot of resistance, but I find almost universal approval from people walking past or people stopping to talk to us regarding building a strong public housing sector. Now, we'll go through the this again because I think it's important, especially in a period of of confusion where black is white and white is black. It's important that we look at the definitions, because before action you really need to define what the issue is, what the problems are. Not a definition based on you know, some type of virtual reality, but a definition based on practical reality, day-to-day reality, that walk in reality as you, you know, put one step in front of the other Public housing was introduced in Victoria at the end of World War II for one very good reason. As returned servicemen and women returned, many of them found they were homeless, and you can see pictures, 45, 46, of tent cities in the MCG, in the Botanic Gardens, of returned servicemen and women, people who'd fought fascism in its various guises, whether it was the Nazis, the Italian fascists, you know, the Japanese imperial forces, who expected something for their sacrifice. They expected something. They expected a roof over their heads. And the public housing push began then. And public housing was introduced initially to provide housing for people who were not able to afford to enter the private housing market. It wasn't introduced just for people in dire cases and dire emergencies who needed shelter immediately. The philosophy was very simple. It was about the state providing housing at a reasonable cost, 25% of income for people who are not able to afford a house in the private sector. Now, the glory period of the public housing sector was not when the multi-towers were built in the 60s and 70s, but in the 80s and 90s, where the government embarked on a program of spot purchasing. Spot purchasing properties around Melbourne and regional areas, which was able to put people who couldn't afford housing in housing in a community setting. Not people with the same issues together, but in a community setting where there could be some interaction. And this was a very successful program, and I know, because many patients I've had over the years with profound physical disabilities, continue to live in spot-purchased public housing. That means that their children could go to the same school, they could have the same friends, they could go to the same sporting clubs, they could be part of that community without people looking down on them. And they've been very successful. Now, the election of the Andrews-led Labor government saw a whole new, different dimension created, and its policy, and it continues to be its policy today, is to privatise the public housing sector. Now a lot of people are confused by the terminology and I can understand why people are confused by the terminology because the terminology is confusing. There are concepts like community housing, affordable housing, inclusive housing, social housing. These are all privately owned housing. Initially what the Victorian state government has done is introduced private management into public housing And now it's involved in the biggest con of the 21st century, it's Big Housing Build, which has got nothing to do about Big Housing Build, and it's all about giving public land to the private sector to not only build community, social, affordable, inclusive housing, which is private housing, but also turn over most of the walk-up estates in Victoria to the private sector. That's right, the private sector. It's very simple. They say the private sector, and I'll give you a very good example where we're going to need your help. And again, I mean, this program is about wanting your help because obviously I could shoot off my mouth for as long as I like, but without other people's assistance, without, you know, nothing's ever going to happen. You know that and I know that. It's numbers which change philosophy. So we've got this government which is continuing ad nauseum to push this privatisation agenda, and we see the normal people who will be involved in a public housing struggle now being incorporated into the community affordable, social, inclusive housing sector. Privately owned homes to provide housing for people who can't afford, that's the that's, that's what it said. But again, it's insecure housing. Rents usually are more than 25%. They cherry pick who goes into their housing estates and the list goes on and on. And that's why we continue to have a housing waiting list, although it's been incorporated into the community housing list, that never shrinks. At the same time, the destruction of the public housing sector has led to huge changes in the residential marketplace. Now Australia is unique in the world in terms of the residential marketplace. One, anybody from anywhere in the world, whether a citizen, permanent resident or an overseas investor, can buy residential property. You'll go to many countries, say like Thailand, the Philippines, I think the Thailand, China, the list goes on and on. Non-residents cannot buy residential property. When you open the residential property market to international investors and hedge funds and corporations, what you see is an escalation in housing prices. And that's what we are seeing today. Secondly, in Australia... You can get a tax deduction through negative gearing laws legally for owning more than one home. Extraordinary. You can't get a tax deduction to get into your own home, but you can for a second home and a third home and a fourth home and a fifth home, and the list goes on and on. So the, when you remove the public housing sector, as we saw with essential services, as we saw in aged care, as we saw in early childhood development, And as we saw with the airports, and the list goes on and on, you remove competition from the marketplace. When you allow the private sector to dominate a particular sphere of human activity, competition disappears. It's a little bit like looking for fuel as prices increase. 97% 97% of petrol stations will you know sell fuel within 2 or 3 cents of each other and a few you know a little bit more a bit less I should say so as the public housing sector disappears the private residential market prices increase as prices increase rents increase because investors are not stupid they want the tenant to pay for the home, for the loan, which they've got from the bank. And as the loan, as interest rates increase, loan repayments increase, rents increase by 20% in the major capital cities on the eastern seaboard. Extraordinary state in the last 12 months. So the destruction of the public housing sector allows the private sector to manipulate the housing market. It increases rents. It increases prices at the lower end of the market. It increases homelessness. It decreases social cohesion. Increases crime. Decreases educational opportunities and outcomes. And the list goes on and on. So what does a strong public housing sector do? A strong public housing sector introduces competition in the marketplace. That's right. It introduces competition in the marketplace. That's what a strong public housing sector does. What does that mean? That means that there is less demand for private housing at the lower end of the market. That means that housing prices will decrease at the lower end of the market, forcing investors out of the area. They'll sell up because, you know, people you know, don't need to pay rents to them to buy their, to buy their home for them as their investment property. So price at the lower end of the market decreases, rents decreases. At the same time, social cohesion increases because public housing is secure housing. Rental accommodation is not secure. And especially if you've got children and you rely on rental accommodation, they need to change their schools, they need to change their friends, they need to change the social interaction they're involved in, and it causes a lot of issues as far as children are concerned. So public housing is secure housing. At the same time, because rents in public housing are limited to 25% of a person's income, not 40 or 50 or 60 as with rents, That means there's more money which is available to be used in the economy to buy necessities as well as luxury goods. So it also improves economic outcomes for everybody, especially small businesses in those areas. So it's a a brilliant concept. A brilliant concept which has been totally trashed by the Victorian State Labor Party. Totally trashed. And everywhere you look across this state, we are seeing the old walk-up estates being tenants removed, placed in in a majority of cases in substandard accommodation, not suitable for them, and that land being given away, that's right, given away to the private sector. This is where we need your help. Now, on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, over the last few weeks, we have been approached by a woman called Margaret Wright, Margaret Kelly. All right? Margaret Kelly. Now Margaret is 68. Uh, she uses a mobility scooter to get around. She has been a resident in public housing at the Barrack Barak Beacon Estate in Port Melbourne for over two decades. She raised her son in Port Melbourne, who now has a successful uh, business. She uh, has friends all around the area as she lived there for over two decades. Now a year ago, I think it was about a year, eighteen months ago, some the Ministry of Housing turns up and said, Excuse me, now remember the Barrack Barak Beacon Estate consists of eighty nine, that's right, eighty-nine, two and three bedroom family homes which house over 250 people. Now, this is just not at this estate. This is happening around, let's not forget, this is happening around Victoria. You'll see it in Northcote, where you've got empty land, where people were removed. You saw it in Paran. You see it in other parts of Victoria. So what's going to happen on the estate? It's very simple. The government is offering this prime piece of real estate in Port Melbourne to a private developer. The private developer will build 350 mostly one bedroom units. 250 will belong to the private developer who will sell them in the private marketplace 100 will be given and that's the key word g-i-v-e-n to the community for community housing so some organ- private organization whether it's for profit or not for profit will be handed over the titles to these hundred homes to provide so-called low-cost accommodation okay not one public home will be built on the Barrack Beacon Estate or in any other walk-up estate which has been tenants have been evicted, relocated, the estates have been demolished. Now, obviously, a lot of tenants, especially those with children, especially those on uh, support, you know, Social Security benefits, whether it's old age, whether it's disability support pension, you know, unemployment benefits, although not many people with unemployment benefits find themselves in public housing these days, I can assure you, accept it. They accept the fact they're going to be moved because they're frightened that if they stir the pot, if they cause a fuss, that they will be, not be rehoused. It's understandable. But Margaret Kelly is made of sterner stuff. Margaret Kelly does not want to leave the Barrack Beacon estate. She wants it to be retained. She wants it to be repaired. She wants the state government to reinvest... In public housing. She sees this as a campaign not just about her eviction. She has been issued an eviction notice for the 15th of May, five weeks away. The 15th of May, an eviction notice. 68, disability, uses a motorised scooter sees this sees this as a wider struggle it's not just about her and she asked us for help obviously there are other people still in the estate who would like to remain on that estate so this is a matter about political ideology do we continue to privatize the public housing sector and put it in the hands of the private sector Do we continue to give away public land to the private sector? Do we continue to sell public land at bargain basement prices to the public sector? Or do we expand? Do we retain, repair and reinvest as far as the public sector is concerned? Now, public interest before corporate interests and public housing, everybody's business, has one specific policy. And this policy is very simple. around the country in victoria especially which I'm familiar with there is stamp duty levied on home buyers you buy a home you pay a tax called stamp duty to the government it can be 40,000 50,000 60,000 depending on the price of the home and the state government raises 6 to 7 billion dollars per year which it will then put into consolidated revenue Now, our policy is very simple. Money that is raised by a tax on buying a home should be quarantined for public housing, not just to retain, repair and reinvest, but also to spot purchase homes. And if we did this, we could house up to 100,000 Victorians in public housing every year, That's a million within a decade. So how can you help? Well, on the 11th of May, put this in your diary. At 11.30am, Margaret Kelly, a resident of the Barak Beacon Estate in Port Melbourne, who will be evicted. Has been issued eviction orders for the fifteenth of May. Will be holding a media conference on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House at eleven thirty a.m., which we invite you all, you all, to come. But then, once the media conference is over, and maybe nobody will turn up, maybe some people will turn up because this is becoming an important issue. We will accompany her from the from the Victorian steps, from the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, to fifty Lonsdale Street, Melbourne, about less than a kilometre away, which is the headquarters of the Ministry of Housing and the headquarters of the Honourable Mr. Colin Brooks, the current State Parliamentarian in the Andrews-led Labor Government, who is responsible for public housing. And what does she want? She just doesn't want to talk about her eviction. She wants an appointment with the minister to discuss a retain, repair, reinvestment policy. She wants the government, and we support her 100%, to do a U-turn on its privatisation policies as far as public housing is concerned. Now, if you're concerned about increasing rents, if you're concerned about increasing interest rates, if you're concerned about the inability of your children and grandchildren to ever get into the private housing market. If you're concerned about the destruction of social cohesion, if you're concerned about educational outcomes, then I encourage you, and we will obviously advertise this over and over again between now and the 11th of May, to join us on that day. Take the day off work. Come into the city. Parliament station. You walk 70 metres, you're on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, from the steps of the Victorian Parliament House to 50 Lonsdale Street, less than a kilometre. Come along and join us. The more people that join us, the greater the pressure. This is specific action regarding the destruction of the public housing sector and the big you know, housing build con that this government is running on and the fact that community housing, social housing, affordable housing, inclusive housing are just terms that are used to privatise both the management of public housing and the eventual destruction of the public housing sector, what's left of the public housing sector in Victoria, put it in your diary. We need your support, we need your help. If there is one action you should be involved in this year, and obviously there are many actions regarding many different issues as they crop up, this is the one that we really need your support for. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3Cr.org.au. That's 3CR.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3CR.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting today's programme. As I said, huge public housing sector is important we need competition we need a mixed economy we don't need the same crap we saw what happened with the privatisation of the aged care sector we saw what happened with the privatisation of early childhood development we saw what happened with the privatisation of the ports the privatisation of the airports the privatisation of the financial sector the privatisation of the uh, Commonwealth Serum Laboratory and I could go on and on and on the privatisation of essential services publicly owned assets although theoretically are not owned by the public, they're owned by the government of the day, do three things. The most important thing they do is they encourage competition in the economy between the private and public sector. No public sector. Private sector, as we saw in the financial sector, will do what it likes. It provides a mechanism by which government can raise revenue because most of these public assets which have been privatised like Commonwealth Serum Laboratory, the Commonwealth Bank, the airports, provided revenue, Medibank Private, provided revenue to the government of the day. This has been an ideological program which has been a total disaster for most Australians. Obviously, a small minority has done very well out of buying public assets at, you know, fire sale prices. But the majority haven't. Let's go move on. Look, we're better than this, you know. Not just about public housing, but I'm really getting annoyed regarding the debate, regarding a voice to Parliament for First Nations people. I mean, there are people talking about that it's going to extinguish sovereignty. It's not going to do that. And now we're seeing the racist elements in our society come out of the woodwork. Using every excuse in the book, look, the voice to parliament is a simple concept. It's a concept which will be resolved by the Australian people in a referendum later on this year. We've seen the National Party come out months ago against it. We've now seen the Liberal Party, well, what's left of that disorganised rabble under Mr Dutton, come out against the voice to parliament. And we've seen the, how shall I put it, the more um, radical elements, that's right, radical elements in Australian society, those who believe in inequality, coming together to block a voice to Parliament. Now, the Uluru Statement from the Heart in 2017, which was brought together by delegates, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander delegates, they had three demands, simple demands, one a voice to parliament. Two, um, a voice to parliament. Here I'm getting confused. A voice to parliament. You know, moves towards a treaty and uh, and uh, a truth. You know, and justice commission. Right. Simple concepts. Now, why do they want a voice to parliament? Well, it was very simple. There was a thing called ADZI, ATSIC, Aboriginal and Strait Islander whatever you know commission, which was elected by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, and they were a voice to Parliament. They weren't incorporated in the Constitution, so when Mr Howard became Prime Minister, they were abolished. Now, First Nations people are sick and tired of seeing organisations which are set up for them by a particular political group being abolished when another political group gets into power. Now, a voice to Parliament is a simple concept It doesn't deny Parliament any rights or privileges. Parliament has the power to determine what voice they want, how they want that voice. It could be an elected body. It could be an appointed body. It could be a body of three people. But the fact is, once it's incorporated in the Australian Constitution, No political party, no government of the day that's in power can abolish it. It can change it. It can change the mechanism by which the the voice reports to Parliament. So it is of no consequence as far as removing any power that Parliament is able to exercise. Now, let's, let's not forget, although Parliament is able to exercise power, to a significant degree, that power is determined by the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication and the investment class in the society. Otherwise, we wouldn't have many of the problems we face today as a society. It's a simple concept. The beauty is, it puts the ball... ..in the hands of the Australian people. Not the government of the day. Not the opposition. Not racist elements within our society. And they're still there. Many, many, many. But he puts the discussion in the hands of the people. Simple referendum. I'll be voting yes. I've got no hesitation. I don't believe that it has any issues regarding sovereignty... None whatsoever. This is what I expected. I expected the, the radical, racist elements in our society to coalesce around this issue, and they are coalescing. I just noticed that uh, one of the board members of the Institute of Private Affairs, I will never use the public, the word public with that organisation, Mr Fenwick, has bankrolled the no case to the tune of $250,000. That's very nice. If I had $250,000, I'd bankroll the uh, yes case, but unfortunately I don't. So, we're going to see a fascinating discussion at the end of the day. Incorporating a voice to Parliament in the Australian Constitution is not going to radically transform anything. It is no threat to no one. It's a simple concept. Let's see. It's up to the Australian people to decide whether they want it or not. It's up to us. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the community radio network. Well, 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 well. The US spies on its allies. Well, we all know that. Now, the great thing about being part of the United States of America and the free world, that includes us, is that fact and fiction tend to be, you know, two different, The same thing sometimes. Fact and fiction, fact and fiction. Now, we all know about the evil Chinese and the very evil Russians. They're no longer communists. They're just Russians now. They're, They're Russians. They're not communists. So it's not the evil communists anymore. But let's look at reality. There is one imperial power in the world. And it's not China. To me, an imperial power is a nation state, a sovereign nation state, that has military bases outside its own borders, in order to ensure that its interests always remain paramount in the world. Now, how many military bases do the Ch- Chinese have, the Chinese Communist Party has, outside of China? You want to guess? One in Djibouti. One. One. that's just a recent acquisition. One in Djibouti in the Horn of Africa. One. That's right, one. How many military bases does the Soviet Union have outside its borders? And if you exclude what's happening in the Ukraine, it's about 24. Including... Naval forces in Syria. How many military bases the United States of America, the only, the major imperial power on the planet, have around the world? One? No. Twenty-three? No. A hundred? No. Two hundred? No. 300? No. 400? No. 500? No. 600? No. 700? No. 800? We're getting close. We're not exactly sure, but we think it's about 823. And let's not forget there are a number of American military bases here in Australia, including Pine Gap. Let's not forget. So, as the world gears up for a never-ending war between imperial powers, whether it's Russia, China, the United States of America, little old Australia, as we saw in the Boer War, World War One, World War Two, Malaysian Emergency, the Vietnam War, and the list goes on and on. We hitch our wagon. We hitch our wagon to the United States. Somehow thinking the United States will protect us. Now the United States has a very bad record of protecting its allies when it doesn't suit its strategic or military interests. Look at South Vietnam. They cut and run. Look at the disaster in Afghanistan after 20 years of continuous occupation. The Taliban take over the country in less than two weeks, once U.S. forces are partially removed from Afghanistan. And do we hear any noises? Look at the poor people in Kurdistan and north and east Syria who paid a huge price to defeat Islamic State. Well, I'm sure you've all forgotten about Islamic State from a few years ago. They continue to pay a price. And what did the United States do? It withdrew from that area, leave them to the mercy of the Turkish forces and Iranian forces and Iraqi forces. And it goes on and on. So if you think hitching our wagon to the United States of America in order to protect us is going to do anything especially if it doesn't suit their strategic interests at that particular point in time, think again. Isn't it? You know, when you live in a particular suburb and you've got neighbours that are boisterous and difficult, you're not going to go out and nuke the neighbours, are you? You're going to try to come to some accommodation. If you can't come to some accommodation, you're going to build a wall or something, at least not to them as you, you know, walk past. At least with this particular government now, I'll give them the due that they're actually, as far as it comes to economic cooperation, they're beginning, you know, to reassess that. But hitching our star to the fifty American stars, I don't think, is the way to go forward. Listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Ah, nasty times ahead. Poor old Mr Andrews. I think he reminds me of many, like Mr Kane before him, Kane Jr., he look out of the window of his parliamentary offices and see all the cranes and say everything's going beautifully well. And then it all collapsed, and then we had to deal with Mr Kennedy and all that privatisation. Well, Mr Andrews has got a problem. And if he's got a problem, I've got a problem, and you've got a problem, and Australia has a problem. The current debt in Victoria is $115 billion. It will... Escalate to 165 billion within three years' time, 2026, and the interest on 165 billion dollar debt is 7.5 billion per year. So, poor Mr. Andrews is off to Canberra with a begging bowl before the uh, May budget, because he needs to be bailed out by the Australian taxpayer that means we need to be bailed out by the Australian taxpayer now I am sick and tired of this Ponzi economics which occurs around this country growth for growth's sake bringing more people build more houses more jobs and forget about the problems that are created by Ponzi economics. And we are now at the brink of an economic catastrophe because core inflation, and that's inflation, which is central to the type of economic system we have, continues to escalate irrespective of increasing interest rates and the effect it has on Business, especially small business, even corporations, which we are seeing starting to wobble, and on individuals. So why is core inflation so high? Because we live in a private investment for private profit world. And it looks like the only people that matter to core, well, it doesn't look like I know, the only people that matter to the private sector, to the especially the corporate sector, are its shareholders. Because shareholders hang on to a particular share or stock because it makes a buck for them. It's very simple. So shareholders in a corporation are God. So what we are seeing is that the return to shareholders continues to escalate despite the negative effects on the rest of the community. Because there's three sections to a capitalist economy. There's shareholders, and theoretically we're all shareholders, are we? Oh, yeah. There's shareholders, there's the workers in a corporation, And there's the people they service, the public. They're the three sectors. Forget about the government. It's the shareholder, the workers, the people who use the services of that particular corporation. So how do you maintain profits? You squeeze your workers. And with the new technology we are seeing more and more people squeezed out of work and it's escalating rapidly with the arrival of artificial intelligence. At the same time, we are seeing the services and products which people need or want deteriorating and customer service deteriorating markedly. All you've got to do is pick up a phone to some corporation to lodge some type of complaint, and after, you know, talking to a computer for six minutes or so, you get through to a human being, if you're lucky, or you can wait hours, and you can see the sorry state of affairs as far as consumers are concerned. So core inflation is a fundamental problem created by corporatization the domination of economic activity by a small group of corporations whose major responsibility is to increase profits for their shareholders irrespective of the human social environmental costs. So ultimately you and me at the bottom of the you know the line, We are the bunnies who suffer the most from inflation, who are expected to carry the can. We're the lifters, they're the leaners. I'll give you an analogy. Now, I'm sure you're all familiar with galley ships, slave ships, supposedly, um, you know, big thing. Phoenicians, the Romans, you know. You had slaves inside a hole and they kept pulling the oars, pulling the oars, pulling the oars at a drumbeat and they didn't do the right thing, they got lashed, right? Well, think of yourself as a galley slave. Now, on top of the galley, you've got the generals, you've got the priests, you've got the parsons, you've got the imams, you've got the politicians and then in the little house on top of the galley, you've got that 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. So you have been asked to pull those oars harder and harder and harder. And the lash isn't a leather whip, but the lash is the financial penalty we are expected to ensure that the corporate sector which is too big to fail continues to make profits for its major shareholders and if you think you're going to have a lovely little retirement because of your superannuation don't forget that over 50 to 60 percent of every dollar you put in a superannuation company whether it's you know you know with whatever it is, whether it's privately owned or or owned by other entities, the fact is a lot of that is in the stock and share market. And you're just a drop in the water. You're insignificant. Think about it. And last but not least, my favourite company, Transurban. Looks like the... You know, I'm getting a liking for the New South Wales Labor Government in comparison to the uh, Victorian Labor Government. First of all, they talk about halting privatisation of public housing, something that uh, you wouldn't expect the Victorian Labor Government to do because it's hellbound on its privatisation policy. And you know how they've gave Transurban a wonderful gift here in Victoria? That's right, Mr Andrews and the Victorian-led Alternative Liberal Party masquerading as a Labor Party. They said, you dig a tunnel under the, under, under the thing, in you know, under the Yarra, for 3 or $4 billion, and we will allow you, that's right, we will allow you to collect tolls for another 40 years on the land that we gave you before... Extraordinary. Extraordinary crap. $4 billion for a $100 billion return over 40 years. Just extraordinary. Well, in New South Wales, the Labor government is talking about tearing up contracts with Transurban. Think about it. If they can do it there, why can't they do it in Victoria? You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the community radio network, This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. You can go to Public Interest Before Corporate Interest YouTube channel, Defend and Extend Public Housing, Defend and Extend, you name it, you know, it's all there. Anarchistmedia.org, it's all there. But the important thing is your participation. Many things happening. Don't forget, Dinner at La Pocchetta's, if you're in Melbourne tonight, that's Wednesday the 12th of April, 6 to 9 p.m., Next Wednesday night at the Footscray Hotel, 54 Hopkins Street in Footscray, I'll be doing a presentation on the anti-conscription, anti-war movement during World War One. Yes, it existed. Thank you once again for listening to the anarchist world this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of those wonderful people at the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast, you can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au You can ring us on 0439 395 489 0439 395 489 And yes, you can send letters to Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 And you can join public interest before corporate interest by going to net. You can join online right now at the end of the program thank you once again for listening to the anarchist world this week coming to you from the studios of community Radio 3CR heard on the community radio network across Australia evil minds destruction. Construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up to date analysis of local, national, and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord Did you know that 3CR received its community radio licence in 1976? Our application was successful because of our diverse and engaged community membership. Subscribers are at the heart of our station and we really need you to be active and paid up in 2023. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Call 03 9419 8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe.